Good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you all here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Andrew, one of the pastors here at GFC, and uh, I'm excited. Today we are in the second to last week in our series, Summer Love, and it's been, it's been a long series, but I hope it's been a good series for you. If you haven't been with us, we've been in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 all summer trying to dissect and mine out the truth of what love is. And love is one of those things that uh, it can be a simple thing. Like we know what love is when we see it. We know what love is when, when someone says it. But as we dive deeper and deeper and deeper into it, we realize, wow, love is super complex. There are so many different facets to it. And uh, I hope this summer, if you've been with us, that as we've been talking about um, how the Apostle Paul describes love, I hope that it's helped you better appreciate God's love for you. Because we see in Scripture that God is love, and then we see, wow, how complex this idea of loving others is. And we realize, well, that's what God is. Like, He is this love, and He has given us this complex love each and every day. He's loved Andrew like this each and every day. He's loved you like this each and every day. And so as we've studied this concept of love, I hope it's just deepened your sense of awe and wonder about who God is, about the fact that, wow, He actually is so much bigger and more amazing than we could ever comprehend. Because as, at least for me, as we've been talking about love, there's, I found myself multiple times saying, man, that's hard. Wow, I, I don't know how to do that. Like, Jesus, how in the world can I love like that? And it's just amazing that that's exactly what he's done for us. So today we're going to continue to look at the complexities of love, just look at another facet of it, and then next week Pastor Corey will be wrapping us up uh, in our Summer Love series. But uh, before we dive into the passage, just want to put up the question that we've been talking about all summer. It's, what does love require of me? That's what we've been asking throughout this series. What does love require of me? Because love isn't just a thought, it's not just a feeling There's action involved in it. And each week, as we've looked at a new nuance of what love is and what it can look like in our lives, we've been trying to ask this question, what does, if this is what love is, what does it require of me? How should my life change? And so today we're going to continue to ask that question. So if you have your Bible, feel free to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Um, You can open up your Bible or click to your Bible. Or if you go to our follow-along, you'll find, you'll find the passage there with all the notes for today. But we're, we're in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. We'll read the whole passage. And it says this. It says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So last week, Pastor Corey kicked us off in this last verse where it says, uh, love never gives up. And if you remember what he shared, uh, he, he, he pointed out how different versions, different translations say things slightly differently. And the same thing is true here for where we're in today. We're in the, this kind of middle part of the last verse where it says in the NLT, it says, never loses faith, is always hopeful. But then if you look at the NIV, another translation that maybe you like to read or maybe that's in your hands right now, it says always trusts for that first part. Or the ESV says, believes all things. 
And so we see here that there's some slightly different ways, especially for the first part of what we're looking at today, different ways to say it. You know, we see faith in the first part, but then we see trust, and then we see believes. And that's, that's just interesting. That's just something to note. But let me ask you, if someone came up to you and said, hey, you just need to believe everything, how would that make you feel? If someone came up to you and said, hey, you can trust everything you read on the internet. Hey, just have faith in what everyone posts on social media. It's all good. It's all true. Like, how would you feel about that? Hopefully, a red light, like, blinks in your mind. You're like, mm, wrong. Like, that's not true. Like, we can't believe everything we hear. And so that's just interesting. When we read a passage like this, there have been people at times who have read this and thought, man, if this is what love requires of me, then love is kind of gullible. Like, love is kind of naive. Like, what do you mean, believe all things, Paul? Like, of course there are things I'm going to hear in life where I should have discernment, right? Or this part about just always be hopeful. Like, is the Apostle Paul calling us to just some blind optimism? Like, what about the realities of life, Paul? Life is hard. It's challenging. People hurt me. I hurt other people. Like, sometimes if it doesn't feel like I can be too hopeful, Like, what are you calling me to, Paul? Should I just, you know, grin it and bear it? Is love just putting on a fake smile and just pretending? Like, oh, yep, everything's good, when in reality, you know it's not. Like, is that what the Apostle Paul is calling us to today? This idea that just believe all things, it's okay, love is naive, love is gullible, love is just blind optimism. And I bring that up because there are people throughout history who have read this aspect of what the Apostle Paul calls love, and they've said, I'm out. I don't want this. this. I can't do this because there's a hardships in reality, and I'm not going to be a dupe, and so I don't want to just believe all things. But the fact that we render this, this part of Scripture in different ways, in these different translations, whenever you see that, you should just pause and, and ask yourself, hmm, I wonder what's going on, because the likelihood is that there's a word or a phrase in the original language that it's just difficult for us to translate into English. You know, you, in some translations, there'll be some words, you go from translation to translation to translation, and they all say the same thing. And so it's like, okay, you can be pretty confident that the translators, because the Bible wasn't originally written in English, you could say, okay, the translators are pretty confident that this Greek word or this Hebrew word translates pretty well to this English word. But there are other times where that's just not the reality. And if you've ever taken a a language class, maybe a Spanish class or a German class or a French class, you know that there are some words in different languages that we don't really have a word for in English. And so we have to use the words we do have to try to convey that same meaning. And that's, that's what's happening here in this passage. And the other thing we need to do, whenever there's a question about Scripture especially when something seems super extreme, it's good to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so the verse right before this, uh, verse uh, 6, it says this. It says, uh, it does not rejoice, again, talking about love. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. In other words, Love has a discernment. It's able to see this is unjust, this is just, and it's able to make a call like, I should reject this and I should celebrate this. And so the verse before, uh, in verse 6, we see that, you know, love isn't just about this uh, being a dupe. It's not about being naive. It's not, we're not asking people to be gullible. The Apostle Paul isn't asking that. 
we can see that he, he wants us to have discernment. And so love is not blind to the hard truths of reality. Love is very much aware of the hard truths of reality. And so today, as we're talking about this, the, the fact that love, never, uh, that love never loses faith, when we're talking about the fact that love is always hopeful, um, we're not saying throw out discernment. The Apostle Paul isn't saying that. I don't think the Apostle Paul is saying throw out all healthy boundaries in your friendships and relationships. I think love can be faithful. Love can be hopeful. Love can have this type of posture. Love can have that type of lifestyle. Love can exist as uh, never losing faith and always being hopeful and yet still having discernment and appropriate boundaries. And again, we're back to the fact that love is complex. We can't just be spoon-fed what love is. We actually have to digest it and think about it and process it in how it should play out in our lives. And sometimes it's a little more challenging than just words on a page. So, let's dive into what this means. What does it mean to never lose faith, to never lose hope, as the passage says? And again, I think Apostle Paul is getting at a heart posture, a lifestyle, a way that we should exist. And the first thing we need to recognize is the fact that love, uh, there's this eternal aspect to it. It says that love, it never loses faith. It says that it is always hopeful. So there's a sense of it's enduring. And the way I've been thinking about it is this, is that love does not throw in the towel. Love doesn't throw in the towel. You've, I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. You know, maybe uh, you, you like sports and your team is down in the fourth quarter. It's like 37 to, to 6. And you're like, well, they might as well throw in the towel. They're done. Like, they're not coming back. You know, I love, I love my dad, but my dad, he's, he's been a passionate Steelers fan for his whole life. But oftentimes, we'd always pick on him. It'd be the first game of the year, the very first quarter, the, team would get, the opposite team would get a field goal, and he'd sigh. He'd go, oh, like, we're done. I'm like, Dad, don't throw in the towel. It's the first game. Like, what are you doing? Sometimes in life, we can have that type of posture where we want to throw in the towel prematurely. And that's not good. Love seeks not to give up. It, and in our culture, there can, there's this mindset, I believe, that, that just permeates a, a lot of us, and it permeates me, where I have this sense of, well, I can get what I want when I want it. If I want something, I get this. If I don't like it, I don't get it again, and I can get this, and I can move to this, and I can kind of ping-pong back and forth to whatever I feel like is going to satisfy me and fulfill me. And the reality is, uh, that's not a posture of love. And I believe that love doesn't choose to throw in the towel easily. Uh, who's seen the Finding Nemo? Has anyone seen that movie before? A couple people? Okay, if you haven't seen it, you need to go home and watch it because it is fantastic. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in that movie, uh, Marlon and Dory, that's Nemo, D, Nemo's dad is Marlon, they are escaping from a great white shark and they're in this submarine. And as they're escaping, they somehow, I don't know how it happens, they somehow get locked in this room, and the great white shark, he's pounding on it, pounding on it, pounding on this door, trying to get in and eat them. And Dory is, like, looking around, and Marlon's like, oh my goodness, we can't, we can't get out. And Dory notices these symbols on the ceiling, and she's like, I, 
what is that? She's, she starts putting these symbols together, and she's like, escape. And she's like, uh, I think it's the word escape. And Marlon, he's like, great. And so they go up, and they go out of this escape hatch, and he looks at her, he's like, wait, you can read? She's like, yeah. And then the great white comes after them. Escape hatches are wonderful in submarines. Escape hatches are wonderful in different vehicles. But escape hatches can be really dangerous in relationships. If we're super quick to just look around, when the great white shark of life, when the troubles are just pounding on the door and everything just feels like it's caving in, it's like, you know what? I gotta find a way out. And that temptation is real because life is hard. Because the reality is, life is difficult. But if we're going to have a posture of love, then we need to not be quick to throw in the towel. We need to not be quick to just look for the escape hatch. And again, we can have discernment in life. We should have healthy, protective boundaries in, our, in, in love and in relationships. I don't think the Apostle Paul is throwing those things away. But I think he is calling us to a posture of we're all in. We're committed. And... It's hard. It's hard to love someone you've given up on. It's really hard and challenging if you've decided to go out the escape hatch. Um, and so this first reality is love is something that endures even when life is difficult. And again, I, I just want to say this. I want to keep reminding us of this. This is complex. We should have discernment in our love. There is a place for healthy, appropriate boundaries Life is difficult and challenging, but it can be so easy and tempting to just want to throw in the towel. That, that temptation can be so strong that we have to be careful. We have to guard against that escape hatch mentality. And if God so loved us uh, that he'd be willing to die for us, and if he calls us to be like Jesus to go love others, if we're quick to just give up on people, we're, we're not going to be able to love them well. So, that's the first aspect of what the Apostle Paul is calling us to. Um, that was true of last week for what Pastor Corey shared. It's going to be true of what he shares next week because the last verse in chapter 13, they're all kind of tied together. But what about the idea of faith and hope? That's what we see in, in this passage. This idea of love is ne- never loses faith and it always has hope. And the first thing I want to point out is that uh, faith and hope are active things. They're choices. They're not passive. When you put your faith in something, you actively choose to say, I believe this. When you have hope in something, you're actively choosing that. And so what I believe the Apostle Paul is calling us to uh, with this idea of faith and hope in regards to love is, I think he's really calling us to say, you know what, I'm going to Uh, wish for the best in that person. I'm going to not assume the worst about them. I'm going to have faith that what they say is is true. I'm not going to put down my discernment, but I'm going to choose to have faith in them. Or I'm going to choose to, to believe the best about them, even when I'm so tempted to just hold on to the worst about them. Again, it's a heart posture. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's not easy to flesh out how this should look in our lives, but um, it's this idea of, I want what's best for someone else, even if they don't deserve it. I hope 
for the best in them. I hope and that our relationship can be stored one day. I, I leave room for that possibility, even though it's really hard right now. And I think a good way, one way to say this is that love actively chooses to see the best in others rather than the worst in others. Love doesn't just quickly assume worst-case scenario. And let's be honest, it can be tempting to assume worst-case scenario sometimes, especially when someone's hurt us. And that makes sense. Like, someone hurts us, and we want to protect ourselves. We want to protect our kids. We want to protect our family. We want to protect our friends. We want to protect the people around us. So when we get hurt, we, we want to protect. And we don't want to feel pain again. And that's very natural. That's understandable. And so it can be easy when life gets hard to just, well, they're at it again. They've hurt me before. They're just, they're just hurting me again. I can't believe what they're saying. They're, they're doing it again. And I, see, I think we see this in the story of David and Saul. Uh, if you're familiar with that story in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, Saul was anointed by God to be king over Israel, the first king. And Saul, uh, if you know the story, did he do a good job? No, he didn't do a good job. He was not a good king. Um, but he had this, this young man named David who he got to know. And David would come into the king's court and he would play music for Saul to help soothe him. Uh, David slew the giant Goliath. David became a commander in Saul's army and he was having all these victories for the kingdom of Israel and for King Saul. And one day when David and his army are coming back from battle, uh, the women of Israel come out and they're, they're singing and they're dancing, they're celebrating the victory and they start singing this song about how Saul has killed his thousands but David has killed his tens of thousands. And it talks about how Saul then, from that day on, he starts to see David as his enemy. He starts to see David as, you know, I'm suspicious of him. He's, he's going to come after me. You know, everyone loves him so much. You know, he's probably going to, he's gunning for my throne. And if you know the story, uh, David continues to serve Saul faithfully. He never once does anything to try to undermine him. But Saul, because of his suspicion in David, because he loses faith in him, he tries to kill David multiple times. It's amazing how Saul tries to kill David, and David runs away, and then someone like, like Saul's son, Jonathan, comes, talks, comes and talks to his dad, and then he's like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And then David comes back, and then the cycle happens again and again. In fact, it happens so much that, that David is on the run from Saul, and actually David has the chance to take Saul's life. They get put into, their, their places get reversed, and David has the chance to take Saul's life. And it would be easy to justify, well, Saul is trying to kill you, David. Not just once, not just twice, but many times. And David's, at this point, he's been chosen to become the next king. It would be easy for him to lose faith in Saul, to lose hope and say, you know what? I'm just going to end it now. I didn't want it to be like this, but you know what? This is what I'm going to do. But instead, he chooses to let Saul live. He chooses to say, you know what? Even though he's against me, even though he's suspicious and assumes the worst case scenario, I'm going to choose to love him. He's God's anointed king for now. It's not my place to take his life. And so he actively chooses to think about the best in King Saul rather than the worst. 
He sees Saul as God's still anointed chosen king, even though David knows one day he will become king. But because he knows, you know what? He, God chose him. Who am I to take his life? And so he chooses to hold on to faith towards Saul and hope towards him. And what I think any of us, if we were in David's shoes, it would have been so tempting to just, all right, let's rise up. Let's get rid of this guy. God's already called me. Like, let's do this. But no, instead he chooses love because he believes that's what he should do. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, sometimes it can be really easy to think about the worst in others rather than the best in others, especially people who have hurt me. And there are people who have hurt me, and I get, I get like this porcupine stance, and I get my quills up, and it's like, all right, I'm not going to uh, look at them as a friend. I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to have my quills at them because I'm suspicious of them because they've hurt me one too many times, and I'm just done. I've thrown in the towel in this friendship. I've thrown in the towel in this relationship. And I think, when, going back to the throwing in the towel imagery, that whole idea isn't just like, oh, I'm walking away. Like, I'm never going to see them again. Like, I'm never going to talk to them again. I think we can throw in the towel just emotionally. We can just disengage. Say, you know what? It's too hard to, to love this neighbor of mine. I'm just going to throw in the towel. I'll just coast by. When I see them, I'll say hi, but I'm done engaging with them. Or, you know, it's too hard to love this this mother-in-law or this father-in-law or my own mother or my own father or my spouse or my kids or whoever. And you know what? I'm just going to try to maintain comfortability. And I'll try to not step on their toes. And they'll, if they step on my toes, beware. Like, and we'll just try to we'll disengage. We'll throw in the towel emotionally. We'll throw in the towel relationally, even though we're still there physically. Does that make sense? Like, this doesn't have to be like we're walking away. We're never seeing each other again. We can do this just on a day-to-day basis by, you know what? I'm going to stop pursuing them in friendship and relationship, and I'm just going to maintain the status quo because they've hurt me. I've lost faith in them. I'm not going to... I'm just done. And again, that can be very, very tempting. But I believe love calls us to a higher standard. It calls us to not just assume the worst about someone, but to think about the best in them. And the reality is negative thoughts are sticky. When, when something bad happens to us, it's so easy to just let those neg- that negativity sit here and stick there. And we forget all of the good. You know, it can be easy. Well, that man, all he does is he's just so lazy. He just watches TV all night. He, he doesn't engage with the kids anymore. And it can be so easy to just stick in that and then to forget, well, man, that crisis came up last year and he really stood up for me and he was there for me and he provides every week. And wow, he actually, that last Saturday when, with the kid's birthday, he like showed up and he was there and he, he loved our kids well. And, so, and we, so we can so easily just sit and marinate on the negative and forget all the good. Or that boss, man, he's just so, he's so full of himself. He, he never gives credit where credit's due. I worked so hard on that project and yet he took all the credit. And it can be easy to forget, wow, like the only reason we actually succeeded was because th- his great idea and the fact that he showed up and helped me in this area that I struggle in. And, and wow, when I was sick last week and I, I was worried about, you know, calling into work, he was totally fine with me missing and w- just took, took that bullet for me. And, you know, do you get what I'm saying? How easy it can be as sinful human beings 
to, to forget all the good and just sit on the bad and just say, you know what? I'm done. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. But love doesn't lose faith. It doesn't just throw in the towel. It, it keeps hope for people. And I think another way to say this is that love actively chooses to not despair, but holds on to the possibility of future restoration with people. Love actively chooses to not despair, but holds on to the possibility of future restoration with people. And this is getting more to that idea of love always is hopeful. Because when we start to have those negative thoughts about people sticking in our brain and we start to lose faith in them as a person and as a friend or as a family member, we can just start to despair and say, you know what? Things are never going to get better. This is how it's always going to be. Things used to be good, now things are bad, and they're just going to stay bad, and I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to throw in the towel. But I believe that love is meant to have this posture of, you know what? There could be future restoration here. God could work in their heart. God could work in my heart. God could work in our circumstance, and, and things could change. And again, just kind of harping back to the beginning, not throwing out discernment, not throwing out healthy boundaries, but just having that realization that things could get better. And the reality is our God came and he died for us and one day he's going to return and fix all things. So of course everything's going to get better. And so of course if our whole reality is going to change, then why not this relationship? Why not this friendship? And even if it does Our God doesn't call us to be responsible for how other people love us. He calls us to be responsible for how we love them. And so if he wants us to have faith and hope in love, although that's so hard and challenging, then that's what we need to strive to do. I think another way to to just process it is that we need to always keep a candle burning in the window when it comes to our friendships and relationships. We need to always have that candle lit of, you know what? They might return, and this could be restored. Or I'm going to have my hand outstretched, and if they don't take it, I can't control that. But what I can control is how I see them, how I think about them, how I respond to them. And I believe that David had the candle still burning in the window for Saul. Because instead of taking his life, he chose to spare it. He had hope that this could be restored. And it never was, but he still had that posture. And I think we can learn a lot from that. So this kind of love, it's not, it's not easy. But if we choose to have this kind of love, the awesome thing is if we choose to have faith and hope in our relationships, I believe it helps to create an environment where people can flourish. Where people don't have to feel, you know what? they're always just so suspicious of me because of what happened 20 years ago. Or they're always just cynical because, you know what, I made some mistakes. No, actually, they're open to me going and seeking forgiveness with them. You know what, I know I'm not perfect, and, but instead of them just throwing in the towel on me, they're, they're always there for me. And you see how when, when people have that mindset of there's, there's faith and hope here, there's an endurance here, they don't always just think the worst about me, people can then start to flourish because then forgiveness can happen. Restoration can happen. Love can actually happen. And that is something that we don't often see in the world around us. 
Because that's not the sin nature response. That's not the easy response. It's challenging. But when we as a people say, hey, I'm, I'm going to choose to have the kind of love that endures, that has faith and hope in others, then that's where a healthy environment, I believe, can start to flourish and people can begin to flourish. But now let's talk about how do we actually do this, okay? So far we've talked about kind of what this is, and I don't know about you, but for me it's like, all right, Paul, thank you. This is really challenging. You just made my week a little bit harder now that I have to process how to do this. So let's talk about how do we actually have this kind of love that has faith in others? How do we have this kind of love that chooses to be hopeful even in really tough times? And the story I want to, to help, help us, I think, understand this better is the story of Jonah. I know many of you have probably heard this story. If you haven't heard this story before, Jonah, he's a prophet of God in the Old Testament. And God called Jonah to go to the city, to the city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was uh, this huge city in the Assyrian Empire. And uh, if you've read the story before, if you've been a Christian for a while, was, was this, were the Ninevites, were they good people or bad people? Good people, bad people. Bad people. Yeah, were they, were they friendly people or scary people? Friendly, scary. They were scary people. They were known for their brutality in war. They were known for the way they would torture and torment their captives. They were enemies of Israel at the time. These were not nice, kind people. But God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach to them that, hey, God has seen what you're doing, and if you don't repent, uh, God's judgment is going to come upon you. And if Nineveh is that way, Jonah turns around and decides to go that way. He literally, if you look at a map where Nineveh is, and, uh, and Jonah wants to go to a city called Tarshish, which would have been on the other side of the known world, Jonah literally runs the opposite direction. And Jonah, you know, he runs in that opposite direction, and why does he do that? Is it because he's afraid of the Ninevites? Probably, there's probably some sense of that, but why does he run in the opposite direction? Well, if you continue in the story, you know that Jonah, he doesn't get very far. He gets on a boat, heading in the Mediterranean to Tarshish, and all of a sudden a storm comes up. The sailors uh, decide to figure out what's happening. Why is this going on? Jonah says, hey, I'm running away from my God. It's my fault. They throw him overboard, and a fish comes, swallows him up. He survives uh, in the belly of the fish, and then gets spat out onto land, and then he finally goes to Nineveh. And when he arrives in Nineveh, he preaches the shortest sermon ever. It's crazy. It's like seven words. And then the whole city repents and turns around. It's crazy. It's, it's awesome. And Nineveh, or excuse me, Jonah, he sees this. And this is what it says. The end of chapter 3 into chapter 4, it says, When God saw what they did, that's the Ninevites, how they repented. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. And did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. All right, if we just pause there, if the story ended there, it'd be like, that's awesome. Like, God showed grace and mercy and compassion to people that didn't deserve it. Like, we can get behind that, right? And Jonah, he, he, he screwed up at the beginning, but he went and did his job. Like, that's great. But we move into chapter 4, and it says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became 
angry. Jonah's angry that God is compassionate and caring and relents his judgment towards the Ninevites. He wanted to see them pay. He knew that the the Ninevites were enemies of Israel. He wanted to see God destroy them. His attitude and his thoughts toward the people were so negative that he was furious at God's mercy. Like, think about that. And the reality is our thoughts and our attitudes toward people will determine how we treat them. And Jonah's thoughts and his attitude towards these people impacted how he treated them. And Pastor Corey said it like this last week. He said, your thoughts about someone will impact the way you love them. And I think that's so true. And if we want to be the type of people that have faith and hope in people and have faith and hope, just that posture in our relationships, then we have to be careful about what negative things we allow to stick here about that person or about those types of people. Because if we allow those things to stick here, it can be easy for us to become like Jonah and to get angry when God's showing mercy. Like, that's, it's awesome what God did. That's exactly what we would want for us. That's exactly what Jonah needed. And yet he is angry that God is showing that because I believe his thoughts and his attitude toward people impacted the way he was loving them. And last week, Pastor Corey, he brought up an example from uh, the book of Philippians. It was about, and forgive me if I pronounce the names wrong, Iodia and Syntyche. They were these, these two women in the, the church of Philippi. And they were bickering, they're arguing about something. And Pastor Corey mentioned, talked about that. But he talked about this verse in Philippians 4, 8, and it says this. It says, this is in context of Iodia and Syntyche arguing. The Apostle Paul tells the Philippian church to go help them be restored in their relationship. And then he starts harping on the things that they think about. And so he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And this idea of conforming our mind to thinking about things that are good rather than bad. And often I've heard this verse uh, applied to just all sorts of things about the way we think about um, media and entertainment, all sorts of things. And that, there, there's a place for that. But the original context is this idea in restoring relationship. Philippian churches, you go to Iodia and Syntyche, help them to restore. And part of this process is getting their minds the way they think about each other back in, into the way that it should be. And I heard a pastor say it this, like this this week. He said, we need to think well in order to treat well. We need to think well in order to treat well. You know, it's really easy to treat people poorly if our thoughts towards them are already negative. And just, just think about, if, just to help flesh out this reality, if I just said a name of somebody, we'd all have different thoughts about them. If I mentioned Mark Zuckerberg, some of you would be thinking, who is that? Some of you would be thinking, oh, I love Facebook, because he's the CEO of Facebook. And others of you would be like, oh, Facebook is a breeding ground for sin and destruction. Get rid of it. Like, we'd all have different thoughts about it. Or if I said LeBron James, 
Again, some of you would be like, who's that? Some of you would love him because he plays for the Lakers. Others of you wouldn't like him because he left the Cleveland Cavaliers like he did so long ago. And that was, that was a hard day when he left the Cleveland Cavaliers because I like the Cavs. Anyway, I don't want to think those things about him. But you get what I'm saying. Like, it's easy to allow our thoughts to dictate how we treat people. And again, not throwing out discernment, not being, having just blind optimism, not being naive or gullible, but saying, you know what? Despite that, I'm going to choose to love them and think about the best in them and choose to have faith and hope in this relationship. So I think we need to learn to think well in order to treat well. And the, an, another thing I think we need to realize is this. It's that we need to recognize that we are just like the Ninevites. You and me are just like the Ninevites. They didn't deserve God's mercy and grace and compassion, and yet he gave it to them. And so we need to remember that we are recipients of undeserved love. If we continue on in the Jonah chapter 4, Jonah says this. Now remember, I asked you, why did Jonah run away in the first place? Maybe it was out of fear. But catch this, what he says in chapter 4 of Jonah. He says, he prayed to the Lord, that's Jonah, And he says, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Catch this. Jonah, at the beginning of the story, he knows if God's sending me to Nineveh, God could forgive them. God may not bring destruction upon them like I think they deserve because I know God is compassionate. I know God is a loving God. Think about this. Jonah knew God's character. He knew what God was like. Yet God's character didn't change the way he saw other people. Like, shouldn't the way that God loves others us change the way we see other people and i think that's what jonah's missing is he saw god's character and he saw what the ninevites were like but he had a wrong view of himself he knew god loved him but he assumed i deserve that but the ninevites don't he put himself proverbially on a high horse saying i can sit here with god's love and compassion and mercy because i'm jonah i'm the people of israel But those Ninevites, they don't deserve it. And so he didn't remember the fact that he was a recipient of God's undeserved love first. And I think when we sit on that proverbial high horse and we look at other people in our friendships or our relationships or our marriages or or to whoever and we say, God loves me, yeah, I get that, but how dare he love them? It's going to be really hard to have faith and hope in our relationships if we do that, if we create that. But as soon as we get down on the same level and say, you know what? I'm just like the Ninevites. I don't deserve God's love any more than they do. As soon as we get down on that level, it's so much easier to say, you know what? I'm going to choose not to think the worst about you because you know what? Our God, rather than just, just giving up on me, he came and he loved me. I didn't deserve the cross, yet he died for me. And if he's willing to do that, and give me undeserved love, then you know what? I'm going to strive to give you undeserved love. 
So we have to avoid having this attitude and mindset like Jonah. And so if we're going to be the kind of people who choose to have faith and hope in our relationships, if we're going to be the kind of people that says, you know what, I'm not going to just run to the escape hatch. I'm not just going to run to what's going to make me feel happy. I'm going to choose to stick it out. I'm not going to throw out discernment. I'm not going to let you abuse me and hurt me again, but I'm still going to choose to seek to love you as best I possibly can. If we're going to do that, then we need to think well in order to treat well. And we need to remember, first and foremost, Jesus died for unrepentant, sinful people, and we're at the the, the front of the list. As soon as we put ourselves on that high horse like Jonah did, we're not going to be able, we're going to be angry at God's mercy towards others, which is just mind-blowing. And yet, Andrew does that, and I know we're all tempted to do that. So as we just wrap up, I just want to ask you, what towels relationally are you, are you tempted to throw in right now? Is there any that maybe emotionally you've just disengaged from, where you're physically in their life, but you're like, you know what? I'm already at the escape hatch. I'm, I'm not really here. I've lost faith and hope in this. Or are you sitting on a high horse, just assuming, yeah, of course God loves me, but I'm not going to go love them because they don't deserve it. Are you sitting on any high horse right now? And as just a challenge for this coming week, I'd like to encourage all of us to take five minutes, just five minutes, today or tomorrow, to think about how you think about, and then fill in the blank. It could be how you think about your spouse, how you think about your kids, how you think about a parent, a friend, a neighbor, an enemy. Take five minutes to just to think about how you think about them. You know, just process what sorts of, my, of thoughts come into my mind when I see them. Pastor Corey said, what soundtrack comes into your mind? What soundtrack plays when, when, they, when they call you? you know, what, how do you think about them? Because again, I think we need to learn to treat well or think well in order to treat well. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being the God who never lost faith, and never lost hope. You came to us when we were undeserving, and you died for us. And Lord, it is so easy as sinful, just corrupt people to just forget that, that you first and foremost loved us. You loved Andrew, you loved everyone here, and, and none of us were deserving of your love. The Ninevites weren't deserving of your love. Jonah wasn't, and yet for all of us, you came and you died. And Lord, you didn't just throw in the towel when you could have. So Lord, I ask and I pray that we will just continue to strive to take this complex idea called love. May you help us to put action to it, to not just think about it, but to actually do it in our lives. Please help us to be the kind of people that creates an environment where we can flourish as people, just being, just basking in your love and choosing to extend that to others because we are recipients of grace. We have been first and foremost recipients of your mercy. So thank you, Lord, for your love. May you help us to go forth from here and to continue to love. Amen.